Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Entitled The Strength of Our Weakness. The Strength of Our Weakness. And that is, yes, that is an oxymoron, but you'll find that in the kingdom of God, things are often upside down. And what you'll find is that those that think they're strong according to the kingdom of God are actually weak. And it's those that understand that they're weak that are actually strong. It's those that recognize their lack of and that they recognize their need for Jesus. And what I found in my life and what we're going to see in the story of Gideon is that God likes to call the unqualified. God likes to call those that seem to be the least likely candidate. And it's because he receives glory and honor when he takes us in our weakness and shows himself to be strong in our life. And so I want to encourage you that however God is speaking over your life, that you would not see your weakness as something to be discouraged about. You would not see your inabilities or your lack of as something to hold you back, but that you would actually rejoice and see your weakness as an opportunity for God to be glorified in your life. Your weakness is not a barrier. It is a bridge for the glory of God to be displayed to the rest of the world, as we'll see in the life of Gideon. And so I believe strongly that God is going to encourage us today and speak something into each and every one of our hearts. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And again, this is entitled, The Strength of Our Weakness. And when we are weak, God is strong. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be starting in verses 11 to 16. Let me just give you some context before we jump into the application of this. If you're not familiar with the book of Judges or the story of Gideon, let me share this. The book of Judges is this interesting time period that takes place right in between Joshua and before the reign of Saul, who would be the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. There's this gap. We just spoke about Joshua last week, and there's this gap that takes place right after of about 350 years. And in this time period, God has these judges who will basically oversee certain parts of Israel. And if you read through Judges, you'll notice that there is this cycle of the nation. There's seven cycles in total. And what happens is basically there's a time of prosperity and peace for Israel, but then they start worshiping false gods. Then they fall into bondage and captivity by the very things they were worshiping. And then they begin to cry out for God to deliver them. And then God raises up a judge to do that very thing. A judge is not so much someone who has legislative power. It's a, it's a deliverer. It's a savior. That's what it really means. And so we're going to be looking at a story of one of these judges by the name of Gideon. And we're going to come and jump in where they are an oppressed people. And just some background on Gideon real quick. The Midianites, the Midianites are the ones that have oppressed and impoverished Israel at this time. And so the Midianites, along with the Malachites and other Eastern people, what, what happens is, is every time Israel goes to farm and sow, when it's time for the harvest, the harvest is taken from them. And you can imagine this. Every time they, they sow and they go to reap, there's no harvest there. The Midianites and these other Eastern peoples come and they just ravage the land. It says they're like locusts. And they are so oppressive to the Israelites that the Israelites literally have to go hide in clefts and caves and strongholds. The, the normalcy of life is completely broken in every single way. And in this state, the Israelites begin, as they do in these cycles, cry out to God. 
There's blessings in affliction in our life. When we sin and we go against God, God allows affliction to come into our life, not so much to just punish. It's not punish. It's to draw us back to him. And so in their affliction, they begin to cry out to God. And this is where God begins to raise up a judge to deliver them by the name of Gideon. And what I want to do is look at basically two portions of Gideon's life because it spans three chapters. We can't go through it all, but I want to look at this personal encounter that Gideon has, and then I want to look at the actual battle that Gideon is called to fight against the Midianites, and it's there we'll see this divine ruse. But let's pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 6, where Gideon has this personal encounter, and it says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that's not Oprah, Ophrah, <laughs> that, I, I, I was like, is this Oprah? <laughs> I had to look it up, get the pronunciation on YouTube, Ophrah, Ophrah. And he belonged to Joash, the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We're going to come back to this. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? It's no different today. The same questions are asked. Why is there suffering if there's God? And where are all the miracles that we read about in the Bible? And it goes on to say this. He says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, I love it. God just doesn't even really acknowledge what he just said. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And again, he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Listen, it's my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I want to talk about the strength of our weakness Listen, Gideon gives me such great hope. I am deeply encouraged by Gideon because I see so much of myself in his life. You know what I I often think, and if I'm not careful, I, I resort back to this mindset where I think that the only people God uses are those that have reached a certain level. They have certain qualifications. They have certain skills, and they have uh, certain resources, and that's why God chooses them. And what happens is, and I'm just speaking from a heart, that I become paralyzed by fear, by feelings of inadequacy, by insecurities, because I say there's no way that God could ever use me. But then when I open up the Bible, there's this overwhelming truth that God uses the weak and the broken. In fact, I would even say that he prefers to use them because his glory shines so bright in our lives. And when you understand that truth, there is a freedom that begins to set within your heart that allows you to freely run after the God-given destiny that he's spoken over your life. No matter how big it may seem, you realize that God is enough. And so when I read this, man, this so deeply encourages me. But, but you got to picture this scene here for a moment. God comes to Gideon, and what does he say he's doing? He's threshing wheat in the wine press. He says because he doesn't want the harvest to be stolen from the Midianites. This would have been a really strange scene here. You usually thresh wheat on the top of a mountain to have access to the wind. and It helps you to blow the chaff away and separate the grain. But instead, he's at the base of the mountain in an enclosure, this stone enclosure where he's in the wine press, but he's threshing wheat there. He's hiding out. Now, I don't know for sure what Gideon's life looks like, but I would imagine that this is probably not one of his highest moments when he comes here. 
He has a small amount for sure, and it's probably frustrating what he's doing, and he's literally in fear of the Midianites, and God comes to him in this place, this call of grace, in this low moment of his life, and says, the Lord is with you. Even in this place, the Lord is with you. And then he speaks this over him, mighty warrior. And I said, man, isn't that incredible? Here's this man who's hiding out in fear, and God speaks this truth over his life. You're a mighty warrior. Why is that? Is that because of Gideon's past or what he's doing in the present? No, God speaks over what he sees that we will become. Not where we currently are. He speaks over where we are going. I love that about God. And hear me on this. This is so important. He doesn't speak this to butter up Gideon. He's not trying to just make Gideon feel good. What it is is a statement by God of his confidence in himself to bring about what he desires for Gideon's life. He can speak this over Gideon's life with confidence because he knows that he's fully capable of making it come to pass. He who starts the good work can finish it. So he comes to Gideon and says, I know you're hiding in this wine press. I know you're full of fear, but you are a mighty warrior. Not because of you, because I'm confident in myself that if you trust me, I will bring you there. God has spoken words over you that you need to receive. God sees where you're going, not where you currently find yourself right now. I tell you, this is a good example for us as a church. <laughs> how we should see one another, speak life over one another, see, see the potential in one another, not speak death. And when we find ourselves in situations, say, yeah, but brother, sister, I see this in you. I see what God wants to do in your life. And so Gideon's response, it gets even better than this. Gideon goes on to, to tell him after the Lord says, you're gonna save Israel. In verse 15, he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. It's what I call the Gideon complex, and you could put Andrew complex and probably a lot of us. And God comes to him and speaks this and basically says, I'm the weakest and I'm the least, I'm the youngest. This task that you're calling me to do is too great and I am filled with self-doubt. Gideon's really saying, I don't even have authority to speak over my family and call men out to follow me. And you're calling me to go, again, to go up to my nation and call men to follow me into battle? Gideon's telling him, you've got the wrong man. I want you to hear this because God wants to speak big vision over our life, things that we can't do in our own strength. And our natural instinct is when God speaks that, we'll begin to say, no, I'm not. That's our first response. God says, you're this, you're a mighty warrior. Say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not capable enough. No, I'm not smart enough. No, I'm not skilled enough. No, I'm not spiritual enough. No, I don't know enough scriptures, so on and so forth. And when God speaks to us in these places, if you're anything like me, you're, the first thing that happens is there is a, a long list of memories that begin to flood your mind when someone speaks these truths over you. I've had people speak it. Man, brother, you're, 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 you're a mighty man of God. And my first thought is all of these things that I've done in the past, all of my failures begin to flood my mind. And I'm like, man, if they only knew. Well, God does know. And he still speaks that over Gideon's life. We may not hide in the wine press. But like Gideon, we hide behind excuses from God using us. And we have all these things of why God can't use us, all of our insufficiencies. The point I'm trying to make is that God is actually calling us, I think, because of those things. He says, you are going to be used because, because you don't have the strength to do it, because you don't have the power to do it, because you don't have the skills to do it. And that way, when it's done, I will receive glory in your life. It's the battle of being qualified versus called. And if you're anything like me, Again, I'm just Gideon to a T. If you want to know what I like behind the scenes, I'm Gideon. 
constantly stricken with fear and always pouting and wondering, God, are you going to do this? This is me to a T, and I would imagine that many of us face this as well. And the thought is, when God calls me to do something, is I'm always asking, how is it going to work? I'm always thinking of questions of qualification. Where are the resources? I don't have this skill. What about this? What about that? How is this all going to work out? But here's the reality. The only question we have to ask ourselves is, am I called? Not am I qualified. Am I called? Because if you're called, that means God says you're qualified for it. And he says he'll be with you. That's the only question that you actually have to answer. And if you can, in your heart, wherever he's calling you, say, I don't have the skills, but I know one thing. I am called. Then you're qualified for that. And God is going to see it to completion in your life. I am constantly bombarded with feelings of inadequacy and feeling unqualified. I feel unqualified as a pastor. I feel unqualified as a church planner. I feel unqualified as a husband. I feel unqualified as a son. I feel unqualified in every way. And I feel like probably a lot of us do. And man, God sees something different that I want to speak over your life. That I want you to start seeing yourself as God sees you. And it's in the unqualifications that God says exactly, that's where I'm going to use you. That's where I'm going to shine bright in your life. I look throughout the Bible, and like I said, God loves using the least likely candidates. Did he not call Abraham and Sarah when they were in old age? And what does he say? You two, you two are the perfect couple to have a child to bring about the nation of Israel. Did he not call David, who was the least likely of all of his brothers? All of his brothers had the appearance of the king, but he calls lowly shepherd boy David and says, you, you're the perfect candidate to become a king. Did he not call Moses, who was a stutterer and a murderer, and say, Moses, you're the perfect candidate to be raised up to lead the nation of Israel? Did he not call disciples, who were a bunch of ragtag, they each had their own problems we can't even go through, and God says, you 12, which went down to 11, you're the perfect people to turn the world upside down. And did he not come to Gideon, who's full of fear and inadequacy and doubting and questioning who, you know, his capabilities, and God says, you're the perfect man to be raised up as a deliverer for my people. God loves calling the least likely candidate so that he gets glory in your life. And if he's calling you into something that when you look at it, you say, there's no way I can do this on my own, that is a good place to be. You are the right candidate then. In fact, if God's call, if God's call doesn't take you beyond what you can budget, what you can measure, what you can calculate, what you can reason in your own strength, I would argue it's probably not God's call. God's call will always take you to a place where you are put in a position where you are hungry for his provision and his presence. Because without that, we don't need him then. I can do it on my own, but God calls in the places where we have to say, God, if you're not with me, I'm going to die, God. I can't make this, Lord. And that's scary. Let me tell you, you know God's called you if you fluctuate between great excitement and then great fear. And you go back and forth. I, I remember we, we were playing the church, and I was like, God, is this you? Is this you? And, uh, and I felt these feelings, and I went on, I mean, I don't recommend this, but I went on Google, and I was looking, how do you know if God's calling you? <laughs> I kid you not. And, uh, and I went on it, and the guy, this pastor shared his testimony, he's like, you'll know because one moment you're going to be so excited that this is bigger than you, and the next moment you're going to be scared to death, like, because of that reason. And I had that, I was like, no way, that's what I just went through. And I knew God was calling me. <laughs> but look, when, when God calls you, when God calls you, he'll bring, the enemy brings fear. That's usually the first response of the enemy. God speaks a word of faith, and the opposite of faith is fear. And the enemy wants you to look at all the things that you don't possess and why you can't do it. 
and I want to just speak this. I, I've shared this with individuals, but when God first called me, I was at Times Square Church. I was completely broken and strung out, and I went into a Friday night service. Crystal was bartending that night, and I was going to go see her afterwards. And I walk in, and, uh, man, God has spoken some words, but this one, like, I still remember. It just ripped, like, every fiber of my being. I just, like, God spoke to the depths of my soul. And I walked in on this service, and I saw this young man speaking at this service. And God says, that's what you're going to do, Andrew. And, man, I was like, no way. <laughs> and it, when I saw where I was and where God was calling me, I said, it can't be done. And you want to know what happened? I left that place, and I went back to my crazy lifestyle, not because I wanted to, but because of fear. I was so gripped by fear to say, there's no way. And then I realized God said, that's exactly right. There is no way you can do this, but by my spirit, you will. And I've gradually begun to learn that God calls you where only his spirit can, can sustain you. Without that, then, then, then you can't make it. And so in all of this, Gideon has all these responses and whatnot. And I love God's response to Gideon as he just lays out his his, all of his excuses, God says in verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. I mean, is there anything greater than that? God says, in, in light of all of our excuses of why we can and what we don't have, God says, here's my response. I will be with you, Gideon. What value does God place on himself and his presence? And let me tell you something, this is not for, he doesn't promise his presence to go with Gideon because of entertainment value. When God says in the Bible that he's gonna go with someone, listen to me, he's saying, this assignment is too big for you. And I'm going to send my presence to continually confirm the calling and commission that I have on your life. Because there are gonna be times where you're gonna say, no, no, I'm out of this, too much for me. But God says, I will be with you to continually speak over your life that I'm with you and this is what I have called you to do. God confirms his priorities by his presence. Wherever God goes, man, that, that's, that's priority to him. And so he says with Gideon, I will be with you. And so before we look at this battle that Gideon has, let me just fill in the gap real quick. Gideon still, I love it, in line with his character, he's still not really sure if he should trust this word. And so he says, let me bring a sacrifice uh, and bring it back to you just to make sure that you really are the Lord speaking to me. And and he brings the sacrifice back, and this angel of the Lord touches it, and it burns up, and Gideon realizes he's been speaking face-to-face -face with the Lord. And his next, his, his first, I should say, his first assignment is he's to go into his father's house and tear down his father's idol to Baal. And I love it because he does it, but again, he's gripped by fear. It's, it's so encouraging for those that just always waver with, with God's call. He says, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to go at night, and I'm going to take 10 men with me. I'm not going by myself. And he goes, and he does it, and he tears down this idol, and amazingly, his dad really responds in a positive way. The son is, is touching his dad. And then after that, Gideon's now getting ready for the battle, and Gideon, still unsure of whether or not he can trust that God has spoken to him, begins to have this, this test with God. And maybe you've heard it called laying a fleece before the Lord. And Gideon, where it comes from, is in this story. And what Gideon basically does is, he, uh, he says, all right, Lord, if it's really you that's calling me, you're really going to be with me, then in the wine press on the floor, I'm going to put a, a, um, a wool fleece. And when I wake up, all the ground will be dry, but the wool fleece will be wet. And that's how I'll know it's you. And so he comes the next morning, and sure enough, it's not just damp. It says you could wring it out so there's a bowl full of water. God left no room for doubt. And Gideon said, good. No. Gideon said, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's do this one more time. I'm still not sure... If you're with me, he said, let's do it the opposite way now. Can the whole ground be wet and this wool fleece be dry? And he comes in, and it is. 
And now Gideon's like, okay, I can go to this battle. And so we pick it up in Judges chapter 7, and I'm just going to look at verses 2 through 4. Here's where we really see the divine ruse, but it ties so well into Gideon's character. Can you imagine this? Gideon is now getting ready to take on this oppressive army, the Midianites. They have 135,000 men, the Midianites. The Israelites have 32,000 men. So you can imagine that Gideon's probably like, all right, Lord, what, what reinforcement, what addition are you going to give to me, God? Where's the abundance? Where's, where's this special uh, attack? Or, or what are you going to give to me to help me break that 135,000? And here's where we pick it up in uh, chapter 7, verse 2. Listen to this. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So how many left? Maybe five, ten. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. 70% of his army, can you imagine Gideon, already a man who struggles with this call and fear, and he's watching 22,000 men walk away, probably pulling out his hair in the process and saying, God, how is this ever going to work? And it gets even better than that, because I would imagine that maybe Gideon comes to a place where he says, okay, Lord, I can deal with this 10,000 men. All right, let's do it. And then God comes to him in verse 4 and says, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. So God has Gideon take all the men, 10,000, down to the water. And he says, look, there's going to be two ways the men will drink. One, they'll drop on their knees and put their face to the water. He says the other ones will go down on one knee and, and cup it and bring it up to their mouth and lap it like a dog. And he says the ones that stand on a, go on a knee and lap it like a dog, he says those are the ones you're going to keep. And so you can imagine Gideon's probably you know, scanning to see how many men am I going to have? You know how many leave? 9,700 men drank the wrong way. Gideon was left with 300 men. And so here's Gideon, and now God says, now you have the right number. 300 versus 135,000 men. He started with 32,000, he's down to 300. That's less than 1% of the original army. He's outnumbered 450 to 1. But one thing I've seen is that God's math doesn't make sense. He takes five loaves and adds it to two fish, and you don't get seven. He feeds 5,000. And he takes 300 men and puts them up against 135,000, and he gets victory. His math doesn't make sense. When God is with you, listen, when God is with you, you are the majority. When God is with you, you are the majority, no matter what is coming up against you. And I believe that God intentionally puts Gideon in a place where he would have to hunger and be desperate for his spirit and for his provision. And this is what I shared last week, real quick, but I believe that I could have shared this in any one of these teachings because this is really the heart of all of them that we're going through, but I chose Gideon to really make this the point that God intentionally puts Gideon in a place in which Gideon's inabilities will be exalted and his weaknesses will be lifted high in order that God's glory could be lifted high. God puts us in places where our weaknesses are, are exposed so that his glory is exposed in our life. And I truly believe that in our culture, this is so hard because of the American culture and the American dream, which has many good things in it. It tells us to work hard and be aspiring and set goals. 
which are all biblical and good things, but the problem with the American dream is that the underlying assumption is that man's greatest asset is his own ability. Look what I can accomplish. And we grow up in a culture that keeps, keeps speaking that over us. And it says that the, the American dream says make most of the man, make most of self. But the gospel stands in stark contrast. It says don't make most of self, die to self. It is only when we come to an end of ourselves can we begin to see the power of God move in our life. This entire story is, even what, he, what, he, what God spoke to Gideon early on, it's the picture of salvation. He says you have too many men. If you were to win this battle, you would boast. It's Ephesians 2. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast, even our salvation. We have to come to a place where we recognize, I can't do anything but receive this gift that Jesus Christ has done for me. God loves putting us in places where we have nowhere to look but to him and depend on him. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only things that we can do by ourselves. Man, if we would just step out in faith and where God calls us, the impossible will be done through us. Not us, but God working through us. Michael Koulianis says this in the book that I was reading of his. He says, if people leave your gathering speaking more about your ministry than Jesus, it wasn't the Holy Spirit that was leading it. But too often we see too much of wanting to glorify man in the ministry, but God is looking for a people. I think he's waiting in all of his might and power, waiting for a people that would make most of him and lift him up. And that is that place where the glory and power of God will fall. Is it not the book of Acts? Who are these people? Ordinary people, uneducated, it said, and they were seeing the power of God. They were hungry for God. John the Baptist, man, God was speaking to me. John the Baptist, you know, in Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist comes out. You'll never find this in church growth. John the Baptist, this guy is out of his mind. He lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts and honey, and he has camel hair for clothes. And he says he comes out in Mark and begins preaching the gospel and preaching a gospel of repentance. And you know what it says? The whole Judean countryside and Jerusalem come to hear this man speak. Well, that's the way to gain a crowd. How did he do it? The anointing of God. The power of God. He had nothing. Guy was in ragtag clothes, but he had the power of God, and people's lives are being changed through it. And that's what I believe. Like, we can have crowds. You can, you can, a lot of people can get crowds. I mean, musicians have crowds all the time. But the power of God is different. That's where there's life transformation. And that only comes when there's a people that are hungry and desperate for God to move. And so just before I close here, this gets even more interesting. Not only does God dwindle the army down, but then the weapons that God gives Gideon to fight are interesting. Before I, before I share that, I want to share this because it's so encouraging that Gideon, once again, is still, still filled with fear. And, and I imagine, I can understand, 32,000 to 300, and God says, if you're afraid... I want you to go into the enemy's camp. And that's an interesting thought. If you're afraid, sneak into the enemy's camp. But he tells him to do that. And he says, take your servant with you. And he goes in there and he hears that there's this man of the Midianite army who, has, who had this dream of this barley loaf bread rolling down through the Midianite camp. And there's another man who somehow says, that's surely the sword of Gideon. How they made that connection, I don't know, but when divine destiny is about to happen, everything starts pointing to it, and they just knew that this was Gideon who was going to come and get this. And so, uh, so Gideon gets encouraged. I love that. God gives an encouraging word in the enemy's camp, and he comes back, and he's like, all right, let's, let's do this. And so God then gives them, okay, one last thing. You have 300 men. Here's your weapons. God's divine ruse. Here's your weapons. You ready? A trumpet, a jar, and a lamp. 
and these are going to be your weapons. And Gideon is, is uh, he breaks up the 300 men in three camps of 100, and we'll close here with this scripture. It says this in verse 19 of Judges 7. It says, Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. So they take the trumpet, they break the jar that was covering the, fly, the, 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 the torch, then they hold the torch up, they blow the trumpet, and then they start yelling that at the end, for a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, and the Midianites start attacking one another and fleeing. It goes on to say in the book, uh, chapter 8 that they actually chase them down and kill off the rest. And verse 22 says, When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And so God had given this incredible victory. And he did it through Gideon's weakness and through all of Gideon's insecurities. The worship team can come back up as I close here. I want to I wanna share with you. I want you to hear this. This is really, really important. I'm, I'm slow to ever just give spiritual meaning to things because you can start to allegorize and get really unbiblical with that. But as I was reading this about these weapons, I believe the Spirit was speaking to me about something that tied in deeply to the New Testament and, and a portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. And I want you to just hear this for a moment and see this connection. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God has placed a light, a burning fire inside of us who is Jesus Christ. And then listen to what it says in verse seven. But we have this treasure, this fire of God in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God has placed this fire of God inside of us, the light of Jesus Christ, and it calls us jars of clay so that when people see God's authority and power moving through us, everyone will say, that's not man, that must be God. And I had this picture in this battle that when they took the trumpet and broke the jars of clay, God was just speaking this symbolic word to me that it was through the brokenness. It was through the weakness. It was when man allowed himself to be broken that the fire of God began to shine out and the enemy camp they didn't have to fight. When they saw the fire that was inside of them, all they could do was attack one another and flee. And I want you to know that there is a power that lives inside of you. If you are in Christ, there is a fire of God that lives inside of you. And the way to access it and walk in it is not through strength, it's through weakness. It's through brokenness. It's through coming to an end of ourself. And when we do that, man, God will begin to move through us in miracle and miraculous ways. I'll close right here. I want to just, this will just lead us into the last song as we pray. But be encouraged with this. I've shared briefly how much Gideon was afraid, right? I couldn't even get into all the details, but there's just one story after another in this of Gideon being filled with fear. But right before he goes into battle, I skipped this verse on purpose. And you got to hear this. It says this. I want worship team, if they could hear this as well. It says this in Judges 6.34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon before this battle. But hear me on this. This is actually translated a little bit weird. It says it better in the Amplified and in, in the Hebrew language. The way it actually translates it is the Spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. 
In other words, you have no other times like this in the Old Testament. In other words, the Spirit actually put Gideon over him like a glove, and he was absolutely possessed by the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest displays of the empowering of the Holy Spirit took place with one of the greatest men of fear. That means no one is excused in this room. Everyone has access to be filled and possessed by the Holy Spirit and to move in that type of authority. If God could possess Gideon, who is full of insecurities and full of inadequacies and full of fear, he can possess you and work through your life in mighty ways. If we would just say, God, I come to an end of myself, have your way. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.